will change your spirit in a hurry. Uh, Acts chapter 19, as I mentioned to you earlier this morning. And um, our theme, of course, is that all may know. And I believe that that is more than just evangelism. I believe really at the core of that is discipleship and uh, ministering uh, to one another, helping one another, growing spiritually, growing in our understanding of the Word of God, responding to the Lord, and uh, just putting ourselves in a place that we are ever-changing, growing in our faith and our walk with the Lord, that we're never content with being what we were yesterday, that we are seeking to uh, just grow in that relationship as we should be with any of our relationships, right? This morning, I, uh, the Lord just been putting the, something on my heart concerning Acts 19, and uh, that's where we're going to springboard from today. And as you follow along in your notes, I left some blank spaces so that you can fill those in. I did not do a PowerPoint because I want you to listen and not just watch for it to show up on the board. Um, so you'll find a pen in front of you if you need one in the back of the chair. But uh, I want us to understand some things about what God expects from us. And uh, so I, I pray that as we read these scriptures and then we pray together one more time, I pray that you'll ask the Lord to open up your ears and your heart and your mind and remove all the distractions from you, okay? So that you can listen to what God has to say. It's more than what Pastor Ricky has to say. Amen? Paul said, Paul watered, Apollos, uh, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gave the increase. And so we're looking for the Lord to speak to us this morning. Let's stand together, would you? Acts chapter 19. Uh, we're going to just focus on the first five verses. We looked at last week how uh, religion is not enough. And um, let's just, for context's sake, we're going to read down to verse 5. Verse 5 is where we'll uh, focus for our message. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples... He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This morning, the title of my message is God's interest in our response. You see that, verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, this is the time that in our church we build up to corporately throughout the week. It is a time where we come together and worship in one body and one accord. It is a time, Father, where your word is opened up and it is delivered in a corporate manner that everyone can hear. But any of us who have been saved long enough understand this, that you have the ability through your spirit to accomplish in each of us 
exactly what each of us needs. And so you know where all of us are. You know where our spiritual standing is. You know where we're weak. You know where we're strong. You know what we need. I'm praying, Lord, that you have liberty now to allow you to accomplish through your word what needs to be done today. And help us, Father, to respond in a way that's pleasing and honoring and edifying to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to open up this morning just delivering an illustration that I think all of us, especially those of us who are married, can relate to. Christy and I have been married for 21 years, and our marriage is still a work in progress. Amen? Now, let me say this before I move on. I got permission to say what I'm about to say. I would not say it without permission. All right? One of the desires of my heart as your pastor is to be real with you. Hey, I'm, I'm a pastor who gets traffic tickets. All right? I'm a pastor who's made of flesh just like you are. And, and we, our family is not perfect. We're not super spiritual. We have to deal with things. We have to work through things. And the same is true with our marriage. We have to work through things. We're growing and learning and, and, and maturing in so many ways. But I am often guilty, and many wives, I pray that I am not the only one. I don't think I'm the only one. But I am often guilty of when my wife walks into the room and she has something that she wants to tell me, I have zoned out and do not hear a word that she says. Can I get an amen, ladies? Oh, man, I expected more than that, but that's okay. I, there are times when we're driving down the road, and my mind will be on a number of different things, uh, mainly that I'm trying to get us safely where we're trying to go. But my mind's on different things, and she'll be talking about something that is very important to her. That's why she's telling me about it. And then she pauses for a while, and I finally look over to her, and she's looking at me, and she's waiting for a response. And I was like, was I supposed to respond to that? I didn't realize that. Dumb me. That was, that was an even dumber thing to say, right? And, but guys, I'm going to help you out a little bit as well. There are times that I want to tell her something, and I can tell she's not really listening. She is, she's busy doing other things. And I say, you're not listening to me. And I'm probably telling her about some football statistic. I'm telling her about something that, uh, that is really worthless, but it means something to me. Talking about hunting or fishing or something. And, and she's busy, and she's doing something else. I'm trying not to look at her right now. And, 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 you know, I say, you're not listening to me. And she says, listen, I'm multitasking. And we've all seen that graph, right, guys? When we, we're, we're one line, our thinking is one line, this is where I am and this is what I need to do. And we've seen that picture where, where ladies 
and the line goes all over the place. It's squiggling everywhere, and they got their mind on several different things. I know men's minds and ladies' minds don't work, this, work the same. But she's multitasking, and I'm thinking, yeah, but I'm down on the bottom of the list right now. And the truth is, what both of us want is both of us want a response to what we're trying, that we feel is important to say, right? Whether it, whether it is or not, doesn't matter. It's, re, it's important to the person who is doing the talking. Am I right, Christy? Okay. She's nodding her head and smiling at me. I survived that opening. I wanted to present that to you. Because many times we do the same thing with God. Often we do the same thing with the Lord. This morning I want to talk about our communication with God. And I want to begin by saying, and this will be the first line of your notes this morning, the way that we communicate to the Lord is by way of prayer. We spend time in conversation with God. When we receive Christ by faith and confess Him as Lord and Savior... John chapter 1 and verse 12 describes to us how God provides the power for us to become children of God. And as God's children, next, next line, we have direct access to our Heavenly Father. We don't have to ask for permission. By faith in Christ, we're able to go directly to Him. Look there in your, in your notes, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Through our faith in Christ, not only are we given peace with God, but we have direct access to him. So you don't have to come to the preacher and say, hey, pray for me, although I will. But you can go directly to the Father. We don't have to go to a priest or someone else and to intercede for us. We can go directly to heaven itself because of our faith in Christ, the access we have. This personal access to the Father allows us to approach him boldly. You'll see that. We can approach him Boldly, which means we can come to him with confidence. We can be frank in our conversation, blunt in our conversation. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. My children can come to me anytime they need to. All right? I can be in a meeting with 10 different people, and it can be a very serious meeting, I will not answer my phone unless it says Christy Clemens on it. And if it says Christy Clemens on it, everything else stops. She has first place. She is my wife, and she has direct access. The same would be that with my children. The rest of you can wait. All right? With the Lord, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And we can ask for mercy and grace in time of need. The Bible also instructs us to do this regularly. 
Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 for us to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that our eyes are always closed or that we have to get down on our knees or lay down on our face when we pray. But it is the fact that we're always mindful that God is near. We need God's help. And whatever I'm doing, I can just say, Lord, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need you right now. And so I'm always conscious that God is there. And because of this, this means that God the Father has such an interest in our everyday life that he welcomes us to talk to him often rather than just on an occasion. He wants to have regular communication. My wife wants to have regular communication. Okay, We don't want to be separated and not knowing what's going on with one another. It's regular communication. So God is so interested in our life, he wants to know everything that is going on. And so he invites us to come to him. Truth is, he is a good father, amen, who wants to be involved in everything we do, yet we often approach our relationship with him as a rebellious teenager. This is what I mean by that. Every day we eat the food that he provided. We sleep under the roof that he provided, amen. We wear the clothes he provided, and we simply exist due to the life he provided. Amen? We've heard the saying, you know, we've heard the comical saying, as fathers tell their children, son, I brought you into this world, I can take you out, right? You're under my roof, if you're eating my food, if you're sleeping under my roof, you're going to listen to me. But we often treat God as that rebellious teenager who would rather go to his bedroom and shut the door and not come out unless we need something. Because we'll put God often to the side and we're not communicating with the Lord until we have a need and we come to him and say, God, I need your help now. Father, I need you. Despite all of his love and provision, Often we neglect our communication with our Father. Consider for just a moment what the Bible instructs us about prayer. I gave you several references. Uh, one beginning in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. Wonderful promise here. Jesus says, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. What a promise. John later writes in his epistle, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 and 15. He says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. What confidence that we can have when we can come to the Father. Jesus, on his Sermon on the Mount, he mentioned in Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8, we often quote this, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And then in Jeremiah, chapter 33, I gave you verse number 3. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1. Jeremiah 
the prophet, was speaking to his, to his people. And in verse 1, the Bible says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Verse 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We got a pretty powerful father who can fix anything. Anything. I can promise with all certainty that when we pray, God not only hears us, but he is going to respond. Sometimes it will be an immediate yes or no. But other times it may be a work in progress. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel had prayed. And we read that Daniel's prayer was heard the moment he prayed, but it took 21 days to receive the answer because of the battle that was taking place. In John chapter 11, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, He whom thou lovest, Lazarus, whom thou lovest is sick. And what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't just get everything together and head off to Bethany. He hung around for a few days. And we find as we read through John chapter 11 that he showed up four days too late. Lazarus has already died. But as we read on, we really find that Jesus showed up right on time. The thing is, when we call out to God, we may want, we may need, we may even expect him to answer. But here is the question that I want all of us to consider today. What if God responded to us in the same manner we respond to him? For example, might it be a response filled with a lack of interest? Or do we respond with passion? Might it be a response that we're eager, to, we're eager to say yes or more of a lethargic, I don't know about that one. What about a response based on faith and obedience versus a response crippled with fear or doubt? So let's concentrate this morning on three specific ways God communicates with us and through those methods, may we consider how we respond to the Lord, okay? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you this morning that the message is top-heavy. And we'll, we'll wind it up quickly. But I want you to see point number one is this. How do we respond to God's Word? In our text of Acts 19, verses 1 through 5, 12 men were delivered the Word of God by the Apostle Paul. And when they heard the word, they responded, and their response changed their lives. When they heard, they responded, and their response changed their lives. Because we're in a church service, I want to ask this question in two parts. And the first is this, how do we respond to God's word publicly? Because the Bible is clear that preaching is God's method of making his word known. 
I gave you Titus chapter 1. I think I gave you verse 3. Listen to me as I read also verses 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But hath, verse 3, hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. The world says preaching is foolishness. There's something wrong with a believer who doesn't like preaching. God manifests his word through preaching. In Paul's final chapter, in the last chapter that we have scripturally that he wrote, he instructed Timothy to be faithful to preach the word. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Along with Paul's instruction to preach, there was also a warning that a time will come when the world will no longer be enough. The word will no longer be enough for many. Same, same chapter. We read 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, he warns Timothy. He says in verse 2, preach the word. Always be ready to preach the word. Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Got to hear something else. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. One doesn't have to look very hard to see this happening today. For one, I have noticed, I have noticed that people are drawn more to personalities and programs than they are the simplistic preaching of the Word of God. That is right. We're drawn more into personalities and programs than we are the most important thing, and that is the preaching of the Word of God. As a result, preachers are judged more for their presentation style than their biblical content. Amen, amen, amen. People want to know, how well does he alliterate his sermons? How good of a storyteller is his? We like preachers who tell good stories. How, how much does he make me laugh? We like to laugh. People are engaged with that. We like to be made to laugh. How long are his messages? People want to know. People want to know, what does he wear? Yeah, that's what we want to know. What, what does he wear? Does he give awesome one-liners I can share to my social media account? I hear it. I hear all of those things. I have seen all of those things. How about doing this? How about just quoting Jesus on your social media account? Just quote the word of God. We don't have to come up with something fancy and cute. Just quote the Bible. That's good enough. For another, people love celebrity preachers. And over time, they develop their favorites. And the same was true in the Corinthian church in Paul's day. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11 and 13, he says, For it hath been declared to me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. Some say I am of Paulus. And others say I of Cephas. And others say I of Christ. And Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I am nobody. Thank you. I don't know who said that, but appreciate the confidence there. The truth is, I am nobody, all right? I just come along and I may sow, I may plow, I may pick up weeds, I may water a little bit, I may fertilize a little bit, but I'm just doing what, I'm, what I can do. The truth is, only God can give the increase. The message is more important than the messenger. Therefore, what really matters is how much truth is delivered. But Paul was teaching Timothy that there will come a day where people will be more interested in fables or fictional myths. They're more interested in those things than sound doctrine and truth. So I thought about something. And I found that a recent study stated that the average American watches 140 hours of television per month. I don't know if that includes your screen time. But when we compare that with our personal or our public time in the Word of God, we will discover that we are not only more interested in fables than truth, but we are also listening and responding to a lot more voices than the one that matters the most. Amen? So throughout the Bible, we see an invitation in your notes to respond to the public delivery of God's word. In 2 Peter 2, verse 5, we read how Noah was a preacher of righteousness while he prepared the world for judgment. But apart from his family, the world responded with doubt and unbelief until it was too late. In 1 Kings chapter 18, in verse 21, Elijah delivered a simple message to his idolatrous countrymen. Saying, how long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Invitation, nobody does anything. Throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus would speak to either a group of people or an individual. And he would lead them to a decision to faith or unbelief. And we see the same throughout the book of Acts when we when the word of God was delivered and people were led to a response. In practically every sermon where the word of God is being delivered, God has something in it for us that might enhance our walk with the Lord. Amen. Julia, something in this message God has directly for you. Maybe, Lynn, maybe it's not the entire message, but there is something that God is going to pierce your heart and give you that you need. Can I encourage you? We ought to be sitting on the edge of our seat looking for it. Listening for it. God, give it to me. Speak to me. I need something from you. Looking for it, listening for it. 
welcome it. And don't miss it by living, by inviting distraction. And certainly don't miss it by not responding. At the end of the service, we always give an invitation. Why do we do that? Because we want to give time for you to respond to what God says. I'm still old-fashioned. I like for people to come to the altar, but I don't care if you come to the altar or not. What's more important to me is John Hawkins talks to the Lord. You don't owe me anything, but you owe God everything. So respond to him. I don't believe in manipulating the audience when it comes to invitation and trying to coax, coerce a, 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 a decision and extending it to a long amount of time so, until somebody finally gets up because they say, if we don't get up, BJ, we're never going to get out of here. As your pastor, what I'm asking all of us to do is when we hear the word of God, be alert, be attentive, listen for it, and respond to it. Because God is not giving you his word for you to just sit there and say, oh, was I supposed to respond to that? Oh, I'm sorry, Lord, I zoned out for a little bit. What you were saying was not important to me. I would rather hear that commercial. Then we see how do we respond to God's word privately. Because we're at home in our personal life much more than we are under the preaching of God's word. And throughout the Bible, we see examples of where God spoke to the individual and their individual response by faith. Hebrews 11 is a summary of many of the Old Testament saints who listened and obeyed by faith. And I listed a number of these I'm going to mention, and I gave you references so that you could go back and read that. Noah, for example, was told to build an ark And you know what? He obeyed. He didn't understand everything, but he obeyed because that's what God instructed him to do. Abraham was called to leave his home and travel to a land that would be his inheritance, and he obeyed. He was also told that out of his seed would become a great nation. Genesis 15 verse 6 says he believed. Moses was sent to lead the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And after he gave a few excuses in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, he obeyed and eventually led them out. Jonah was was told to go to Nineveh. And we know what happened to him, amen? His refusal to obey landed him in the belly of a well. Cain was warned, yet he took his brother's life anyways. Adam and Eve had heard the word clearly, but for a moment were more obedient to the words of the serpent. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were called to follow Christ, and they became fishers of men when they began to follow him. In Luke 19, Zacchaeus was told to come down from the tree, and he did. And the fellowship he enjoyed with Christ changed his life. The father of the lunatic son in Mark chapter 9 was told to believe. All things are possible to him that believeth. And so he believed, and he saw his son healed. Mary and Martha were told in John 11 to roll the stone away. And their response enabled them to have their brother once again. And a blinded Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9 was told to enter the town of Damascus and it would be told what he was to do. His response would eventually give the world the Apostle Paul who would later instruct Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 
when we get in the Bible, in our private time, we should remember that God wants to communicate truth to us. And he is leading us to a faith-filled response. Don't, Beja, don't miss it. Come out of, come out of the bedroom and talk to your father. And not only talk to him, but listen to the wisdom that he wants to pour into you, Noah. Listen to what he wants to pour into you. And so don't read the Bible and say, well, I read my Bible today. God's trying to communicate something to you. Respond to it. Respond to it. And do it energetically. Do it with passion. Don't just say, I don't know about that. How do we respond to the Holy Spirit? Number one is my longest point you see in your notes. How do we respond to the Holy Spirit? The 12 men in Acts 19 admitted that they had never even heard of the Holy Spirit. But once they responded to the word of the truth, they were indwelled with the Spirit of God who equipped them. According to Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 12 through 14, every person who places their eternal faith in Christ by receiving the word of truth is indwelled with a Holy Spirit of promise. And we must learn to respond to the leading of the Spirit of God in our new lives rather than continuing to surrender to the lusts of our flesh. Because our flesh, Coulter Moore, your flesh will scream loud and clear. But God speaks still. And you're going to have to get calm and rest in him and say, God, what do you want me to do here? Responding to the Holy Spirit will equip us to do what we could never do on our own. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit equipped That was just perfect timing because that's how we react to the Spirit's leading. Ah! Tell me you don't. Perfect timing. It's almost like God's in control, ain't it? I love it. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit equipped the apostles with a power to testify boldly of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Many of the listening Jews responded in Acts 2 and verse 7. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And how we respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin in our life will determine whether we live with joy and peace or live with fear and regret. Sometimes the Spirit's leading may not make sense to us. In Acts chapter 8, the Lord led Philip to leave a spiritual awakening in Samaria in order to obey the Spirit to reach one Ethiopian eunuch. 
Other voices may say, well, we could have, he, he could have accomplished more for God by staying in Samaria. But he accomplished exactly what the Spirit of God wanted him to do because he was obedient in his response. Amen? In Acts 13, Paul's world was completely changed by the Holy Spirit. In verses 2 and 3, read with me. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I am convinced people are not listening to the call of God upon their life today. It's the Spirit who calls, not the preacher, not mom and daddy. It is the Spirit of God that says, separate me. I have a work that I want you to do. And he's calling and people aren't responding. I'm convinced of that. Maybe the Spirit of God will call you or maybe he will call some of you into ministry. Maybe he is calling some of you into ministry. And if you were to do that, what would your response be? Oh, I could never do that. You better watch it. You're a good candidate. Other times, God's Spirit opens and closes doors. Wanting to carry the gospel to Asia and later to Bithynia, we learn in Acts 16 that the Holy Spirit was not leading Paul that direction. The timing was not right. Instead, the Spirit opened a door to carry the gospel to a new part of the world who had never heard. And immediately, Paul responded. God shuts a door. And we pitch a holy fit. I don't know why you do that. I thought God was leading me that way. I just knew God wanted me to do this. I just don't understand. God don't care about me. I didn't see. Paul says... Lord, can we go here? Those people need to know about Jesus. And the Lord said, not right now. Okay. Can we go here? Can we? How about this door, Lord? These people need to know about Jesus. And yes, they did. But the Lord said, no, not right now. And there he is having a vision. That vision says, hey, why don't you come to Macedonia? We're ready. And if you read that, you'll see that Paul immediately walked through that door. How will you respond? Don't be such a baby that you'll only respond if it's according to your plan and timetable. You might as well be in your room with your radio on. How about Develop some spiritual maturity and say, God, I'm listening. I am in your word and your word 
is communicating to me truth. And your Holy Spirit is convicting me and leading me. I am listening. And I am willing. Lastly, how do we respond to the gospel? There is somebody here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. How do I know that? Because I've been praying for you all week. And the Lord included this point in my message because you need to respond to the gospel. How do I do that? First, recognize your guilt. What's the Bible say? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm guilty, you're guilty, we're all guilty. We're guilty. I don't have to convince that of you. You already know that, don't you, Sawyer? You already know that. You're guilty. Tomorrow is Clay's anniversary of his salvation. His spiritual birthday is tomorrow. He realized he was guilty. Recognize you're guilty. Yeah, you're not perfect. Okay, none of us are. Yeah, you've messed up. Yeah, you got some things in your past. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can say if you knew preacher what I did, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have fellowship with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I know is Jesus wants to have fellowship with you. So recognize it. Yeah, I'm wrong. I'm guilty. I don't deserve it. You're right. So what are you going to do about it? Well, repent of your sin. Say, Lord, I recognize that this is wrong. I know that I am not right. And I want you to change this about me. I confess it to you. I am wrong about this in my life, and I confess that to you. And because of that, I know that I'm undeserving of your goodness. I'm undeserving of your love. I've never done anything worthy of you. I recognize that, and I am repenting of my sin. I want you to not only forgive me, but I want you to change that aspect of my life. I want that to be so buried in the past that it never shows back up. Repent of your sin. And then lastly, receive God's gift. Receive God's gift. God's gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's gift was he took your sin and my sin and Garrett's sin and he took it upon the cross of Calvary because that sin had to be paid for. There was a debt that Garrett and I owed that nobody could make up and pay for. And so Jesus Christ came to this earth for one purpose, to die for Aubrey Parker, to die for Jeremy Parker, to die for the sin of the world. That's why Christ came. And he's offering himself. He's offering forgiveness. He's offering justification. He's offering redemption. He is offering sanctification. He is offering all of these things. He is offering joy and peace and long-suffering and holiness and righteousness. He is offering all of these things freely. And so many people don't respond. Respond. 
to the gospel. Let's bow our heads.